confident the Community Baptist Temple is going places where I believe the future is bright. Number one, a consistent creator. A consistent creator. A.W. Tozer, in his classic book on the attributes of God, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy is the name of the book, he states, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, now let's slow that down a little bit because I had to read that a few times to really get a handle on what he was saying. What comes into our minds when we think about God, now, now think about that for a second. What comes into your mind when you think about God? That is the most important thing about you. That will determine everything else in your life. That's what he's saying. And again, you know, what an extreme statement that is. Tozer goes on to make this statement. He goes on to say, Man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper contains high or low thoughts of God. So what he's basically saying from what I can tell is that our perspective or our view of God will determine how high or how low our worship really is, how pure or how base it really is, how spiritual or how carnal it really is. And the fact is, is that the most important, most valuable aspect of you yourself is your view of who and what God is. See, in our hearts, we, we know that what was just said, what Tozer states is true in our hearts. See, it's not enough to just follow God. Little g, just God in quotes. You know, everybody, you know, God. Well, that word's come to mean so many different things today that it actually means very little. When you say God, what does that really mean? I mean, it doesn't mean a whole lot today because everybody has their own idea of who and what God is. Therefore, it means nothing. It may mean one thing to you. It means another thing to him, another thing to her, another thing to me. And so in reality, we have to be so careful because, well, if we just make up our minds concerning what he's like, then we've just created an idol in our hearts. If you, have, you just say, well, I, I have my ideas. I have my opinion of who God is. That's an idol. Because, see, God doesn't allow you to define who He is. Amen. He doesn't allow me to define who He is. He's already defined who He is. And He defines that in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the Word of God defines who God is. And we are introduced to His nature and His character as we note His attributes. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like people coming to conclusions of who and what I am. I wish they had the guts to ask me who I am sometimes instead of coming to their own conclusion. Don't you wish there would be some people, instead of telling everybody who they think you are, would just come to you and say, hey, I'm just curious, who are you? Because I'm wondering. Instead of going around telling everybody who they think you are? What do we call that? Gossip. And sometimes it's true to some degree, and sometimes it's not true at all. But people come up with an idea. They read something in a newspaper. They read something in a, um, uh, a tabloid. They may hear something on the news. And they come to a conclusion of who and what they think a person is. And they don't really give them the opportunity to respond to that. They come to their own conclusion based on the limited information that they have. And that's exactly what we do to God now. We have this limited 
source of information and often we go and say, well, I know who God is and I know how God thinks and I know how he responds to this circumstance and that situation. Therefore, I know who God is because of the, the limited information that I have. And all along God's going, why don't you just allow me to tell you who I am? Let me define who and what I really am instead of you taking that on yourself. And you know what? Tozer's right on the money because when it's all said and done the most important aspect of any one of our lives is how we view God because how you view God will determine how you live your life it'll determine how you view others it'll determine what you consider to be valuable invaluable it'll consider what you it'll determine what you consider to be worthwhile or not worthwhile we are introduced to his nature and his character as we know, his attributes. Well, what are some of the attributes of God then? Wisdom. Wisdom, in a sense, is the ability to devise perfect ends or to come to the final conclusion, to achieve the ends, if you will, to come to that conclusion by perfect means, to end up right where you're supposed to end up, when you're supposed to end up there. In other words, God makes no mistakes whatsoever. He's the Father who truly knows what's best for each and every one of us. Paul makes that clear in the book of Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I don't understand why God permits this. And I don't know why God allowed that in my life. You know what? You may never know. But you have to understand he is a God of wisdom. And his end is ultimately perfect because he is wise. Infinitude. That's a word. It's an attribute of God. What it means is that God knows no boundaries. He is without measure. Sovereignty. Talking about soul reigning. It makes him absolutely free to do whatever he knows to be best. Sovereignty. God is allowed and God has the right to do whatever he knows to be best. Holiness. That's an attribute of God. This is the attribute that set God, sets God apart from every created being. It refers to His majesty and His perfect moral purity. See, there is absolutely no sin and there's absolutely no evil thought in God at all. He's holy. He's holy. So the next time we think that God has it out for us, well, that's impossible. He's holy. He, he can't think anything evil. You understand what I'm saying? All things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to His purpose. Amen. Trinity. God's a trinity. The Father, we know, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all called God, given to God, given to worship as God. Each one of them is to be worshipped. They exist eternally. They're involved in doing things that only God could do. And although God reveals Himself in three persons, we already noted God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God is still one. He cannot be divided. What we find is that every single one of these persons of the Trinity is completely involved in whatever one of them is doing. They're always involved. Somehow, some way, all three are always active. Three but one. Omniscient. That, that is that God possesses perfect knowledge. And therefore, because of that, He has no need to learn. See, you and I can't teach God anything. 
He's already omniscient. He already knows all. God has never learned, nor can he ever learn. He is all-knowing. Omniscience means, as we said, all-knowing. God knows everything. And his knowledge is infinite. I mean, it, it cannot be limited to a scope of which we understand. It is impossible to hide anything from God. Why? Because he is omniscient, all-knowing. Faithfulness. That's an attribute of God. Everything that God has promised will come to pass. His faithfulness guarantees this fact. He, he doesn't lie. He's faithful. When he's, you know, it's interesting. What he, has, what he said in the Bible about himself is always true. Amen. See, when you read about the Lord, it's always true. He's faithful. Love. Love is, is, is an uh, attribute of God. Matter of fact, the Bible says God is love even. And love's such an important part of God's character that the Apostle John said, God is love. Isn't that interesting? Omnipotence. Omnipotence. Literally, the word means all-powerful. All-powerful. Since God is infinite, and since He possesses power, He possesses infinite power. Unlimited power. That's a wonderful truth. That means there's nothing impossible for God then. He's self-existent. See, when Moses asked who he was talking to at the burning bush, God made a statement. He said, I am that I am. I am that I am. See, God has no beginning and he has no end. He just exists. So he says, well, when was he created? He wasn't. He is self-existent. He has always existed. You say, well, how do we know that? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Self-sufficiency. It's an attribute of God. By the way, it should not be an attribute of you. You should never have that attribute. Neither should I as a believer. Self-sufficient. I can handle this. Well, then you're doing it in the flesh. It's sin. He's the vine. We're the branches. We can't do anything without Him. We can do nothing without Him. You say, well, I don't like that. I'm not a big baby. I'm a my own man now. I don't need somebody cleaning up after me and, you know, patting me on the butt and getting me going in the right direction. I'm able to do that on my own. I can get up on my own. I don't need somebody... And when it comes to God, you do. Now, some of you young men in here shouldn't have your mamas waking you up every day for school, maybe. Maybe you ought to be able to get on your phone, and since you're so used to playing on it anyway, actually get there and actually have set it and say, okay, this is the time I'm going to get up, and I'm going to be man enough to get up, do my Bible reading, my prayer time. I'm going to do that. I don't need somebody babying me and helping me along the way. I'm a man now. I can deal with that. That'd be a good thing for some of these young men, wouldn't it? And I think some of them do it. I hope they do. And if they don't, maybe they just say, hey, mom, you don't have to get up to wake me up. She said, well, I'm going to get up anyway. That's good. My alarm will go off by the time you're hitting my door. And if you get here before they do, then I'll wake up. And I'll wait for my alarm to go off, and then I'll get out of bed. Maybe you better go up if she says to get out of bed. That's probably a good idea. And she, that, she, she'll hurt you a lot more than that, that phone could. So self-sufficiency. The Bible says that God has life in himself. He has life in himself. All other life in the universe. Now get this. Every other life, all other life in the universe is a gift from God. 
It's a gift from God. Justice. The Bible says that God is just. He's just. The Bible says He's immutable. That simply means that God never changes. You know, we all know the passage over there where the Bible tells us that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable, unchangeable. Mercy. His attribute, one of His attributes is mercy. Mercy is the attribute of God which disposes Him to be actively compassionate to you and I. It's the one that allows Him, enables Him, since God, of course, since His justice was satisfied in Jesus Christ, it's the, the, the mercies, that, that characteristic, that quality that frees Him to enable us to be part of His family and to experience the many joys that we do. Eternal. God's always been, and we've already talked about this, He will always be, forever be. God dwells eternally. Time is His creation. There is no time without God. He created time. See, in God there is no time. He's eternal. He created time for you and I. Goodness. The goodness of God is that which disposes Him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, Full of good will toward men. Aren't you glad he's good? He's gracious. An attribute of God, he's gracious. Again, he loves to give great gifts to all of us. And you know what? He wants to give them to us even when we don't deserve it. He's gracious. He's finally omnipresent. He's omnipresent. That means he's always present. Since God is infinite, his being knows no boundaries. None at all. So clearly... He's everywhere then. Now those are some of the attributes of God. If we're not careful, we, we have a tendency to identify or to somehow put God in a box. But see, the truth is, is that He is consistent in His character and His character is a direct result of His attributes. You want to know who God is? Get in the Word of God and you can learn who He is. And then when you have circumstances in your life that, that you meet face-to-face, you can know where God fits in and how He fits into that process or program. And you don't have to guess who He is or what He's trying to accomplish. You know where He stands because you know who He is. Not only is He consistent in character, but He is consistent in conversation, in His actions. Now, again, the whole idea of the message or, or this, this, what I'm sharing with you today is why I believe the future is bright at Community Baptist Temple, why I'm convinced that Community Baptist Temple is going places. And I said, well, it's because we have a, a consistent creator, a, a consistent in his own character, but also he's consistent in his conversation. Someone says, you mean his speech? No, the word conversation, the word of God has to do with his actions as well, how he responds, what he does. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, the Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He said, Why would you bring that verse up in a message like this? Well, here's the bottom line. The fact is that God is as willing to pour out His blessings upon us today as He's ever been. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at the 1960 preacher and say, Well, 1960, I just wanted to bless them, but I don't want to bless these guys in 2015. God's not a respecter of persons. He is consistent in his conversation. He's consistent in his activity. 
He always is going to see things from the same perspective, and he wants to accomplish the same thing. He is consistent in conversation. As a matter of fact, over in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, we read about Elijah and Elijah. It says, And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. The situation is, of course, that Elisha was told, If you'll see Elijah be taken up out of, out of the earth by those chariots, then I'll go ahead and give you what you asked for. Well, what did he ask for? A double portion of what Elijah had. And Elijah was one of the greatest prophets to ever grace the face of the earth. He did supernatural deeds. God had blessed him with a power and an anointing that surpassed almost all others. Not all, but almost. And here this guy is, Elijah now. He says, and he saw him no more. He literally saw him go up in a chariot and he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. He tore his own clothes in half. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Elijah's heading on up. Whoa, here you go. He just let, let her go. Let it go. No, but anyway. And so he just let it go. And boy, the mantle fell to earth. It fell to earth. And he picked up that mantle. And the Bible says that he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. You know, he went over on dry ground. Hey, we see his experience in verse 12. I mean, he saw Elijah go up in a chariot. He had watched Elijah do miracles. He had heard about his escapades. He knew what had transpired and took place. He had experience and he knew who Elijah was. He had seen the mighty works and then he even saw him leave as was predicted and prophesied. We see his expectation in verse 13 and 14 when he, he picks up that mantle. He grabs hold of it and he remembers the promise that was made that he would have a double portion Man, he has great expectation. And there he grabs hold of that mantle. Where is the God of Elijah? Where is the God of Elijah? Great expectation. And then his excitement. Can you imagine when he takes that mantle and he, he smites the water and it parts? He's like, Yes! The God of Elijah was the God of Elisha. And the God of Elijah is indeed the God of Community Baptist Temple. Amen. He is no respecter of persons. He is consistent in conversation and in his actions. And let me tell you today, God wants to do nothing less in our day and age than he did back then. I'm about tired of the negativity and the criticism and just the critical spirit that exists in our churches today. Oh, it's just like, like it used to be. It's impossible to build a fundamental church. And you can't do what it, we used to do in the past. It's all different. It's all changed now. God hasn't. He's consistent. And God still wants to do it. He still wants to do it today. He's always been anxious to come to the aid of His people. He delights in our total dependence on Him. He still wants us to be filled with expectation today. Amen. He doesn't want to go around with our chins dragging on the earth. He wants us to go around looking up into the heavens, knowing that we have got a God that's able 
to deliver us and to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we ask or think. In Psalm 81.10, speaking about his people, he says, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Amen. You know, we go around going, God bless us. Bless us, Lord. Bless us. Bless us. And he's like, would you open your mouth so I can fill it? I got a piece of steak over here. I got a big piece of lasagna that's all ready to be placed in, but you got to open your mouth and open it wide. And so often we go around, Lord, if you'd just get us through another week, if you could just pay the bills, oh God, if you could just bring maybe one visitor to church this year. Wow. What a blessing you are. God's going, are you kidding me? I have access to all riches in heaven. I'm able to give you all things. And you ask for so little? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Why in the world do I believe and confident that God is able and is going to do tremendous things with Community Baptist Temple? Because he is a consistent creator. Number two, another reason why I believe that God's going to enable Community Baptist Temple to go places and is because of a committed congregation. A committed congregation. Not only a consistent creator, but a committed congregation. You say, what do you mean? Well, committed to worship. A congregation committed to worship. True worship promotes the presence of God. Over in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 23, when the Lord Jesus Christ is dealing with the woman at the well, he says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. You know, it seems to me, and again, again, I'm not trying to be critical in this situation, but it does seem to me every time I... I look at what so-called Christian worship is today, that we live in a day when worship has been depicted and displayed as having kind of our eyes closed and, and our hands in the air and swing. Oh, Jesus. Oh. I mean, that's, that's the picture these days. That kind of seems to be how it's called. And as they're doing that, they're, they're swaying to the beat of some so-called Christian song or per, or, or perfor, that's performed by some proclaimed Christian artist. That's worship today. And that's how it's depicted. That's how it's displayed. And most often the beat is more predominant than anything else in the music. And the performer can be described, whether you're saved or lost, as being someone that is a rocker, somebody that's a rapper, or somebody that's an artist. Well, wait, when in the world did a child of God is to be identified with the world? How'd that ever happen? But that's how worship has come down through our churches. We have in, included the world in our worship, and we wonder why we have no power with God. Well, you can't get young people to come to church unless you get involved in some of that different music and lower your standards and permit them to do all that stuff. Really? Last time I checked... It seems to me the harder the preaching, the more they want to be there. Amen. That's what it seems like to me. The problem is today we're going around trying to teach everybody. Let me talk to you today. Let me rap with you. Let me just tell you a few things from the Word of God. 
We get up and just preach the Word of God. And I'll tell you what, people still like good, hard preaching. And if they don't, well, they'll learn to like it. Because it's what God says when He says, it's the foolishness of preaching that wins people to Christ. It's not a Christian rock concert. It's not just standing around teaching. It's the preaching of the Word of God that does that. Well, yeah, I think you need to teach. Well, duh, do we teach around here or not? I mean, come on, give me a break. Of course we teach around here. I mean, you do the Bible, teach and preach the Word of God. We're going to do that. But the preaching is what's been left out so often. Man, listen, one of the reasons I'm convinced the Community Baptist Temple is going places is because there is a committed congregation, committed to worship. I am sure, and listen, I have no doubt. I'll make a disclaimer now. I have no doubt that there are believers among those that worship that way that are very sincere and equally sure that even some of them are, are saved as saved can be. I'm not going to deb de debate that. I wouldn't do that. But here's what I will say is this. I'm, all, I'm equally sure there ought to be a distinct difference between the world's sound and the church. There ought to be a distinct difference between the world's look and that of a believer. I'm grateful for a church family that is committed to biblical worship. You say, what do you mean? Worship that is alive, but is careful to focus its attention and direction to Christ alone and His Spirit and in truth. A worship that seeks to avoid worldly identification while still maintaining a quality sound and message. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Well, that sounds like a divisive message. Really? Divisive message. Are you kidding me? It is a biblical one. Again, have we ever seen what really pleases God? Have you ever read the Bible to find out what pleases God? Let me tell you something. People on a stage bowing, taking praise from thousands of people. Well, that's really Christ honoring. I'm sorry, but I'm having a problem with it. A guy sits and plays a piano. I, I watched this, and I saw this years and years ago. I was watching a Billy Graham crusade. It was, it was I, I mean, honestly, it was an older Billy Graham, and there was a guy named Beverly Shea. Beverly Shea, big baritone voice. Since Jesus came. Then I watched another guy. They introduced him. The crowd went crazy. He stood, got behind his piano. He played and he sang. And then all of a sudden he ended. Same Billy Graham crusade. And when he was all done, he hit the last note. And he went, oh, oh. Slunched over the piano and like he was totally just overwhelmed with the spirit of God as the crowd went crazy and he went, And I went, I wonder who got the glory on that one. Now you tell me, Beverly Shea? Mm-mm. <laughs> Humbly walked back to his seat. Or this guy flopping over the piano like this, then standing up beside his bench. Who's getting the glory now? I don't, I don't care what, you can say whatever you want. But there's something wrong with that being called Christian worship. There's something wrong with that. I don't get it. 
I don't have a problem clapping to some degree. We don't clap around here as a whole. We, we amen and stuff because we're trying to avoid some of that flesh that loves to enjoy the accolades of man. I mean, it's not that we, you know, if it happens, I'm not going to freak out. Don't! You, don't! I'm not going to do that, you know. I wouldn't do that. But by the same token, I think it's important that we understand who gets the glory. And I believe we've got a congregation that is committed to biblical worship. I think we have a congregation that's committed to witnessing. To witnessing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen, the presence of Christ is promised when we go. We've been out knocking doors, 4,500 or more doors this last three weeks. Praise the Lord for that. Let me tell you something. You want to know what's going to make Community Baptist Temple successful as a church? Right there. Right there. You go ahead and point to Sunday school classes. You go ahead and point to a good church cleaning crew. You go ahead and point to a nursery that's well-staffed. Hey, all those things are wonderful, and I think we got that. But let me tell you something. When it's all said and done, it's fulfilling the great commission that God left us here to fulfill. And it's found right there, knocking them doors and trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to make the difference. And may I say today that I'm, I believe today that Community Baptist Temple is going places because I believe we have a committed congregation to worship and to witnessing. And finally, a committed congregation that's committed to work. Committed to work. It, it takes work to accomplish what God's called us to do. In Nehemiah 4, 6, we've read about it. It's, it's our, our theme verse this year. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. There has to be a mind to work. And laziness will never get the job, the work of God done. I mean, fulfilling our own needs and following through with our own desires is never going to get the job done. It doesn't work that way. It takes a congregation, and I believe we have one, as I visited and saw it on Tuesday night and on Thursdays and on Saturdays, and I said, man, we've got a, a mind to work around here, and God's going to do something with this place as long as the people continue to have a mind to work. A mind to work. Progress in the work of the Lord is a direct result of God's people banding together with a mind to work, striving together. And where this is the heart and the mind of the people, nothing can hold them back from fulfilling God's purpose and plan. Nothing. No, no, no generation, no culture, no opposition. God is so happy to bless that. Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. No division, unity, focusing, and faithfully going forth, having the same mind to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, last but not least, we've already said that I believe the future of Community Baptist Temple is bright, that I'm confident that it's going to go places because of a consistent creator. I said a committed congregation. And finally, last but not least, one that may shock you, a corrupt culture. I'm commi- I, I believe we're going places because of a corrupt culture. You say, well, what do you mean about that? Well, God has always worked mightily in the midst of great opposition. He's always done that. Every time I turn around, in Noah's day, <clears throat> it was such a wicked society that God repented that he had even made man. 
And, and, and so he turns around and, and in this very desperate time, God moved into, in a mighty way in, in the life of Noah and his family. And for 120 years, they built an ark. His work in that day changed the course of history. God's work changed history that, that time. Man, I'll tell you what, you can't tell me God wasn't working. Oh, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of people believing. There wasn't too many following him. But let me tell you, God was working. And I'll tell you what, Noah and his family were going places. For 400 years, the children of Israel had been enslaved in the land of Egypt. I mean, to tell you, it looked hopeless to them. They cried out to God, oh, God, oh, God, this is terrible. Help us, God. If you're even there, help us. Don't think they didn't cry that way. They, wondered, they doubted whether it even existed. Listen, we know they worshipped idols in Egypt. We know they carried them out with them. We know that the moment that Moses goes up into the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, they start going, where's Moses? Where's him who led us out? We need, another, we need somebody else to be our leader. Hey, Aaron, what do you think? Golden calf time? Went right back to idolatry 40 days after their leader come up missing. So we know the state of their mind. We know where they were at, but they did cry out to God, and God heard them in spite of the fact that they weren't always faithful and that they weren't always obedient. He still heard them in that regard as his people. A little bit different in the New Testament Christian, but still we see that God was listening. And God spoke to a man by the name of Moses, and he commissioned him to deliver the people of Israel. What an ad- a daunting task, mind you. Think about this. Here he is 40 years on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep. And all of a sudden, God in a burning bush says, Guess what, Moses? I have chosen you to deliver my people. There's going to be at least two million or more of them. And you're going to go into Egypt, the most mighty, most powerful nation on earth. And you're going to demand that the Pharaoh release my people. Sure. Let me just run right over there and do that, God. That's no big deal. Man, Moses was scared out of his mind. Come on, get the rocks out of your mouth, Moses. I know you can do it, but I can't speak. Yeah, he couldn't speak because he was scared out of his mind. Well, I'll send your brother with you then, and you'll be as God to him. You'll be as God to him. You'll tell him what to say. You will be God to him. Isn't that interesting? And then he will simply be a prophet and he'll relay what you've told him to Pharaoh. That's something, isn't it? So what did he do in the midst of that horrible situation? God showed up mightily, didn't he? That's when God showed off big time. Ten plagues later, they're walking out of Egypt. God did the impossible in one of the most darkest times in history. The Lord's ascending back to heaven. He's leaving these disciples. Eleven of them. One of them already killed himself. Now here he is now. Killed himself because he betrayed the Lord, by the way. Here he is now. Fellas, as I leave, I give you a job to do. Take the gospel, the story of my death, burial, and resurrection to the entire world. Jump in your chariots, put on your leather shoes, and go forth. Can we wait till we get Lear jets? Can we wait till we get the internet? How about if we wait till at least we have the Pony Express? No, just go. Win the world. Wow, that seems like a pretty impossible task, doesn't it? And you know what God did? He enabled them to do just that. 
So see, we live in a very corrupt culture. We live in a very hostile culture toward the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that name is an offense to many today. And with that said, we are living in exactly the kind of day that God works most mightily and most visibly in. Opposition is something we're going to face. Evolution is based upon a naturalistic philosophy which has obviously a lot to say about our origin, where we came from, where we're from, how much we're worth, ultimately our demise. It, it identifies, it outlines who we are, our purpose, and how we end. The, the problem is it doesn't leave a whole lot of hope. As atheist Dr. William Provine put it, he said this, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, and no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, <clears throat> I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. That's the end of me. There's no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for humans either. Did you, get, did you just hear that? That's what somebody that really believes evolution believes, thinks. I'm talking about a well-known doctor, authority on evolution. In his Newsweek article, <clears throat> The Bible So Misunderstood It's a Sin, by Kirk Eichenwald, December 23, 2014, we are introduced to some of the most misguided and twisted viewpoints concerning the scriptures and Christian faith that I have personally seen as of late. He opens his article by making some statements. He says this, they wave their Bibles at passerby, screaming their condemnations of homosexuals. They fall on their knees, worshiping at the base of granite monuments to the Ten Commandments while demanding prayer in school. They appeal to God to save America from their political opponents, mostly Democrats. They gather in football stadiums by the thousands to pray for the country's salvation. They are God's frauds, cafeteria Christians who pick and choose which Bible verses they heed with less care than they exercise in selecting side orders for lunch. They're joined by religious rationalizers, fundamentalists, who, unable to find scripture supporting their biases and beliefs, twist phrases and modify translations to prove they are honoring the Bible's word. Some of what he says is true, by the way. But he put the word fundamentalist in, which is a real problem for me. Because I don't know too many Christians that are truly fundamentalists who even worry about which Bible they're using. Last I checked, it was a King James and has been for 400 years. <clears throat> but nonetheless, <clears throat> this particular writer, in a Newsweek article, mind you, a national publication who carries a lot of influence, obviously, goes on to say, there is no longer a matter of personal or private faith. With politicians, social leaders, and even some clergy invoking a book they seem to have never read and whose phrases they, didn't un they don't understand. America is being besieged by biblical illiteracy. I'll give him that much. Climate change is said to be impossible because of promises God made to Noah. I, I don't know. I haven't used that one lately, but nonetheless. Mosaic law, I just, just look at science. But nonetheless, Mosaic law... You only have to do some research, folks. You'll find that there's a lot of scientists that think that is a bunch of malarkey and that it's just a means by which to put you and I at the mercy of government and to take our money. But nonetheless, 
Mosaic law from the Old Testament directs American government. I just thought I'd throw that in. Creationism, because see, I just want to make him right in some respects. But anyway, creationism should be taught in schools. He says, again, these people, Mosaic law from the Old Testament directs American government. So the Bible had something to do with our government is what he's saying. I thought it did, but anyway. Creationism should be taught in schools. Helping Syrians resist chemical weapon attacks is a sign of the end times. All of these arguments have been advanced by modern evangelical politicians and their brethren, yet none of them are supported in the scriptures as they were originally written. Hmm. Wait a second. Let me... I just want to know how long he's been a pastor. Because, oh, last time I checked, he's just a writer for Newsweek magazine, but he somehow knows that none of those things are supported in Scripture as they were originally written. Oh, originals. There we go now. Originals. That's what's going to throw us off because obviously there are no originals and there aren't. He's not telling me something I don't know. But God does preserve his word according to the book of Psalm chapter 12. Last I checked. He must not have read that part. But nonetheless, he goes on to attack the Bible then. In other words, he goes on to say, quote, Some 1,500 years passed between the day the first biblical author put stick to clay and when the books that would become the New Testament were chosen. There were no printed printing presses beforehand or until 1,000 years later. There were no vacuum-sealed uh, technologies to preserve paper for centuries. Dried clay broke. Uh, dry clay broke, papyrus and parchment crumbled away, primitive ink faded. Really? Again, you're not telling me nothing I don't know. Speaking of the KJV, he's very direct. I mean, don't worry. Don't worry, though. He's equally disenchanted with all versions. I just want you to know that. He, he doesn't believe in any Bible, whether it's King James or anybody else. He goes on to say the goal of the translators was to create a Bible that was a gorgeous work that was very accurate in its translation and clear in its meaning, but that didn't happen. The King James Bible is a beautiful piece of English literature, says B. Dumb, Dunn, he quotes now. In terms of, other, uh, of the other two goals, however, this translation falls short. Okay. He attacks the Christian story, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. He dives into the idiocy of creation. He also rips the idea of corporate prayer meetings and finally ends up blasting those that are intolerant of sodomites. In each case, this writer, for a national Newsweek magazine now, in each case he points to some scholar who has supposedly shot holes in the Bible. What's his real goal? From what I can gather, as I read the article... His real goal was simply to belittle, to demean, and to pull the carpet out from underneath every believer there is. I, that's all it is. It was a mere attack. It was opposition. That's all it was. And that is the mainstream view of Christianity and you. You are so stupid to believe a book that was written all those thousands of years ago. Are you that ignorant and by the way, don't think for a minute that they don't get your kids in the school classroom and tell them how stupid you are to believe it. Next time, you check and see what they're teaching them about evolution. Well, we think that you ought to teach them creation there and maybe level it out. Well, they don't want you to teach creation side by side with evolution because evolution will lose. That's why. It's funny. It's funny how that works. 
They want us to be tolerant of all their sin, but they don't want to be tolerant of our faith and belief. I think it should work both ways if you ask me. I think that's the American spirit. You're allowed to believe what you want. I'm allowed to believe what I want. And we all just say, well, we can agree to disagree then. But that's not how it is. They want to destroy us because of our faith in a person named Jesus Christ and in the book that identifies who and what he really is and what his expectations are for humanity. Again, in 2 Peter, why should this all surprise us? Jesus said, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account the sufferings of our Lord, uh, suffering of our Lord as salvation, even as our, brother, uh, our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto, him, given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all epistles, speak in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or they war with, they fight with, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, therefore, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> open sin. We've got a corrupt culture. We've got open sin. I'm not going to spend much time. I just want to read one verse. It's Jeremiah 6.15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. And at that time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. So they can sin openly and it doesn't even bother their conscience. It doesn't in the least bit concern them. That's the kind of culture it seems we're growing into or we live in today, doesn't it? Obvious disdain. We've already talked about it <clears throat> a little bit, but... The BHA, the British Humanist, Humanist Association over there in Britain, they exist primarily, it's, they say, to further the cause of secularism. They want to forge a new society, they say, where the thinking and values of previous generations guided by Christianity and the Bible are forgotten. That's, that's their goal. Do you think there's money behind the British Humanist Association? <laughs> Absolutely there is. A lot of money. He goes on to say, our morality and laws, they claim, should not be based on such religious myths. Rather, they say, we should remodel our society based on more rational, secular ideas. Moreover, they know that if they can persuade people that science supports their position, speaking of creationists, they will have won a great victory, particularly if they can convince people that their existence can be explained entirely by natural processes. Indeed, that no creator was necessary. They will have delivered a coup de grace against those who work so hard to preserve our society's Christian roots. And what better place to start than with vulnerable school children who know no better? Writing in The Humanist, John Dumfrey argues. Here he says it, quote, I am convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the school classroom by teachers who correctly perceive their role as the proselytizers of a new faith, a religion of humanity that recognizes and respects the spark of what theologians call divinity in every human being. These teachers must embody the same selfless dedication as the most rabid fundamentalist preachers, for they will be ministers of another sort, utilizing a classroom instead of a pulpit to convey humanist values in whatever subject they teach, regardless of the educational level, preschool daycare, or large state university. 
the classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new, the rotting corpse of Christianity, together with all its adjacent evils and misery and the new faith of humanism. Wow. He goes on to say and closes, it will ultimately be a long, arduous, painful struggle to replete with such much sorrow and many tears, but humanism will emerge triumphant. It must if the family of humankind is to survive. Hey, listen. Why should that surprise us? Again, Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Amen. Now listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not upset about that. I mean, it bothers me that they're teaching children those things. It's, it bothers me that we send our children into the school system that is determined and, and bent on trying to convince them that what we have believed and what we have embraced and what has made our country great does not exist, and that's God. It bothers me. But it doesn't surprise me. Why do I believe the future is bright? Because our culture is corrupt. And that's when God gets to working real good. That's when God stands out above all the rest. Listen, it doesn't discourage me that we're moving in that direction. What it does is encourages me to say, now God can be seen bigger than ever. That many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. A consistent creator. A committed congregation. A corrupt culture. All three of those things convince me. The Community Baptist Temple is going places. That God is poised to do something great in our congregation and in our city. God help us not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged. And to know that when it is most bleak and darkest, that is when God shines the brightest. May we go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we not allow ourselves to be discouraged by the world and those that would oppose our faith in Jesus Christ.